Hey, Jared Dubin here. This is the audio from Tuesday's chat on the Halftime app with Eric Name from The Athletic, who is the beat writer covering the Milwaukee Bucks, one of my favorite beat writers in the league. does a great job covering the team. We talked about all things Bucks, a couple stories that he's written recently about Giannis and Drew Holiday, and just walk through what's gone on with them this season, a bunch of stuff that happened last year on their way to the title, and what we can expect from the defending champs for the rest of the season. Be back on Thursday with Derek Bodner from the Daily Six talking about the 76ers. Enjoy. First of all, Eric, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I want to start first, like with where the Bucks are right now. They're twenty-six and seventeen, fourth place in the Eastern Conference at the moment. At the the moment, the moment, seventh in offense, ninth in defense, seventh in net rating, and eighth in SRS at Basketball Reference. Obviously, there's a lot of things that have played into that with the injuries and the COVID protocols and things like that. But what's been your overall impression from what you've seen from them this season? And then we'll sort of go from there. To me, it's, it's kind of taking a look at what we saw in their game in Brooklyn. Um, that wasn't, that still wasn't like a full manned roster. Uh, they had a lot of people out in that one and yet, yeah, you know, they took it to the Brooklyn Nets. They, they kind of did what they wanted. Giannis and Chris, appeared totally unafraid Bobby Portis after not being able to see the floor in the final half of that series against the Nets last year mm-hmm. had a huge first half and and to me seemed really motivated to kind of prove that he could do it defensively uh, this year against the Nets and uh, I guess it's tough to know in this season you know is it more fair to take on teams peaks or valleys or you know what is more indicative of what they're going to look like going forward and and i think the thing i keep coming back to with the bucks is you know even the valleys didn't look all that bad for the bucks um you know they start off the season four for six they really struggled with trying to figure out how to replace brooke lopez at the start of the season and then they kind of figured out like okay he's not gonna be around Giannis has to take on more of the brooke lopez role in defense and sure enough they just kind of got to be humming along and uh, they hit a really easy part of their schedule in, you know, like November and December. I I think that really ended up helping them out and Mm -hmm. staying afloat in a number of the metrics that you're talking about. Uh, So they're going to get tested again here uh, in the next couple of weeks. And and we're going to see kind of what they're made of, but uh, I do think, you know, this is still one of the very best teams in the Eastern Conference. I still think it's the Bucks and the Nets in the East, and that's kind of the, the teams that you have to talk about uh, as, as the top contenders. But that isn't to say, you know, I'm really interested to see them play four games against the Bulls. We haven't seen one yet. I'm really looking forward to that first Bucks bulls matchup on January 21st to get a better idea of what, of what the Bulls are. And uh, I, I think they, they should still be considered one of the favorites in the East, but uh, I think it's really tough to know a, a lot about anything 
this season. And it's really tough to know what's going to happen when we see one of those games and if people are actually going to be available and ready to go. Yeah, I find it, first of all, I didn't even realize that they haven't played the Bulls at all yet. I know they played the Cavs like twice within a week or something like that a couple weeks back and wound up, uh, I think, splitting those two games. One of the things I find really interesting this year is that like, I find it kind of difficult to get all that riled up. Like they've lost four out of five. I watched both of these games against Charlotte the last two days. They lost both of them and didn't look that great. Like they looked incredible in the first few minutes of the first quarter last night and took a big lead. And then it was kind of all Hornets from there for the most part. You know, they did come back and like tie the game at the end and whatnot. But, you know, like I I find it difficult to get too riled up, first of all, because they're playing without Drew right now, who has been ridiculously good this year. And we'll talk about him more uh, in a little bit, but not just that, but like, so uh, Grace Nalm was out last night. Brooke Lopez has been out uh, all year, essentially. George Hill was out. Like Langston Galloway, who showed up three days ago, is getting a bunch of minutes. Rodney Hood is getting a bunch of minutes. Like Mamu Kelishvili is getting a bunch of minutes. And it's just like, we know how good these guys are. We know what they look like when they're really rolling. We shouldn't really expect them to be really rolling right now because they're not actually themselves. Like, as long as their record doesn't drop too far to the point where they're, you know, going on the road in the first round of the playoffs, even like as long as Giannis and Chris are healthy and Drew is healthy and those guys are playing well, like I feel like I'm fine with whatever happens with them during the regular season. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the spot that you need to be in. And I think for them, I just remember at the start of the season, they started off four and six and I was talking to some people like in the organization and I was just like, uh, you guys want to have a little bit greater sense of urgency? Um, I know you're confident, and I know you just won an NBA championship, but, you know, the previous year, the Lakers win in the bubble, and then they get themselves into a spot where, you know, they're fighting in the playoff game, or the playing game, excuse me, and, you know, they're going up against the Suns in the first round, and then all of a sudden you have an injury, and you're playing a really good team, and then all of a sudden you lose. Mm-hmm. And and I just kept kind of like nudging people within the organization, like, you sure you're not, you know, more worried about <laughs> any of this? And they're always like, no, we're like, we're good. We're, we're in a good spot. Like, we know that we have a bunch of injuries early. Um, and I, I mean, at the start of the year, it wasn't, it was really before the Omicron uh, kind of wave started mm-hmm. to come through. It, it, it was legit injuries for the Bucks at the start of the year. Um, and, and they went through it and, they got through it, and, and like you said, they're I think three games out of first place in the East. Um, you know, I think they believe as long as they're in those top four seeds, they have a lot of confidence going forward. And I, I just think they know what they can do, and, and that's a, kind of been my big takeaway from this season is that when they turn it on, they can really turn it on. When Giannis, Chris, and Drew are on the floor at the same time. Uh, and you know, one of them isn't out there's 17 and three in 20 games. And again, we can talk about schedule caveats and all of that. And, and, you know, who were they playing in those 20 games? And that's all fair and, and good, but also there's like the underlying fact that the bucks are very good when those three are on the floor. And do I think their, their ceilings lower if Brooke Lopez doesn't come back? Of course I do. As someone who's spread the good gospel of Brooke Lopez being <laughs> a, a great player here for years, 
yeah, it would be considerably lower without him. But the organization believes he's going to come back. They're optimistic about his timeline and, you know, being able to get him some regular season time before getting into the playoffs. So I think there's a lot of belief among people in the organization and the players that this is one of the very best teams in the East. And, and they're not going to get too worried about, you know, like they drop four or five here or, you know, they drop a couple games. They're not worried about it. I think it's so interesting that they were projecting that much confidence to you early in the season when they were four and six. Like I was still confident in them, but it's a lot easier for me to be confident in them from outside the organization. And they're playing like, you know, Thanasis and Ojale and (laughs) Rodney Hood for like 40 minutes a night combined. And it's like, this is not even the real team. Why am I caring about this? But that, that type of confidence is like, I think it's, it's interesting because we see that happen a lot of times with these teams where they are considered like regular season teams for a while. And then when they break through, it's like the next regular season, they just have this utmost confidence about themselves. Like we saw with the Raptors a few years ago, they were this team that like kept getting stopped short of the finals. And then they break through with Kawhi. And then even without Kawhi and Danny Green the next year, they're this supremely competent and confident team throughout that next regular season. And they were still really, really good. And the Bucks didn't even have, you know, a loss obviously of the caliber of Kawhi, like the best rotation guy from last year's team they lost was P.J. Tucker, at least in free agency. Brooke obviously hasn't played for the significant majority, like all but one game, I think. So, but them like still having arguably the best player in the league, two guys who either are or should be, you know, recent all-stars or this year all-stars, like they've got role players that know what they're there to do. Like it's an operation that, it makes sense to project that kind of confidence. So it's, it's good to hear that that's where they were in, you know, their headspace. Yeah. And I mean, it, it kind of goes back to, you know, I remember the originally when you're going to have me on, I don't even know, it was months ago at this point. Um, I, I just talked, I just talked to Giannis for this story and, you know, we were talking about, you know, essentially I told him, I was like, Hey, I remember, you know, the first year under Bud, if if you guys had lost a game the next night, you were going to come out and you were going to put up the, like you would just decide from tip off that you were going to win the game. And if that meant you got five offensive fouls, who cares like, if that meant you needed to, to just go crazy and do all this stuff like you would. And I was like, it felt like this year you know, when you had the option to go and score all these points or figure out the intricacies of a pick and pop with Justin Robinson, your two-way. You know, I talked to Justin Robinson and he says, yeah, Giannis came into the film room and we talked for 20 minutes about the angles in which I should set a screen and how I can get open off of it. I was like, I I straight up told you, I was like, you wouldn't have messed with that uh, three years ago. Like you would have just said, whatever. I don't care how you set the screen. I'm going through it. I'm going to go dunk on somebody. And he was just like, yeah. He's like, no one is going to remember whether or not we win game number 13 of this season. Like that, that does, that does not matter in the grand scheme of things. So I need to go out and make sure that we're doing things right. That, you know, we have the right culture that we're building the right habits and, and to me, it was just like, you know, a, a little bit concerning, right? Like, because I think one thing that's always defined Giannis throughout his career is his desperation. Um, like, he's always just going to play insanely hard all the time. And that kind of has separated him from other superstars. But uh, on the other end of the spectrum is like, 
there's just this supreme confidence from him at this point. Like, you know, I put up 50 in an NBA Finals game. Like, what do I have to be concerned about? Like, what do I have to be worried about at this point? Like, yeah, I can summon that when I need it. So let's make sure my body feels right, the team feels good, and we're doing the right things. Like, it, it it's just kind of crazy to think of, you know, the the desperation that was a part of seemingly every story I wrote since I joined the athletic uh, in Mike Budenholzer's first season to, to now where it's just, yeah, you know, we dropped one. We'll be fine. And <laughs> so I know maybe we're not going to win the next one, but like, we'll be fine in the long term. Like I'm not even saying we're going to guarantee you win the next one. Like whatever, we'll be fine. I wrote down two quotes from that story that stood out to me. And that, that one was, was one of them where he was like, my first couple of years when we started losing, I was like, F this B and I think it's so funny that he like stopped himself from cursing. <laughs> he goes, like F this BS, we're not losing. And I just put so much on my body to win game number 13. Who will remember that? You will not remember that. And I thought that was so fascinating specifically because of the reason you mentioned, which is like the thing that's been associated the most with him is like how freaking hard he plays every single minute of every single game to the point where it looks like he's like exhausted, like five minutes in, which I think is in large part why, He's on like a different rest schedule than most stars who play, you know, the the whole first quarter or something like that, where he comes out like five minutes in, gets a little right. break. It seems like to sort of settle himself down so he can get back into the game. At least that's how it seemed over the last few years. But so that was one of the quotes that I singled out. And then he sort of built on that where he said, um, I realized you've just got to build good habits, build good habits with your team. And when you go down the road, down the stretch, that's when that mentality enters we're not losing i'll do whatever it takes but at the end of the day you just realize i can't kill myself right now drew was out chris was out brooke was out dante was out and if i kill myself right now but i had a conversation with bud just play the right way win lose just play the right way and that speaks to what you said about the conversation that he had with justin robinson so it's like it's really interesting that he is like conscious of this now and i think it, it, it makes sense that it happened after they won like, if they had not won last year, I do not think that would be his attitude this season. No, absolutely not. Like, I, I think that that desperation would still be there in in kind of every game. And, you know, it's like, to Giannis's credit, I thought during last season, um, you know, he started to, like, started to say, I'm trying to, I don't, I don't want to do him wrong here, but, you know, like, they would lose a game and he'd say something about, like, ah, you know, like, it doesn't necessarily matter like if we win or lose this um, like as long as we we're doing the right things or folks on the right things, like we'll be ready to go um, when it matters. Cause you know, the bucks were experimenting with different defenses. They were mm-hmm. trying to switch more They They were trying to, you know, get Giannis out of drop coverage a little bit. Like they were, they were playing with some of these different things. And again, like that was before they won. So, like, Giannis was starting to say that, but it just didn't feel um, – I, w- I would say it didn't feel genuine because, like, I would knowingly kind of push the lines when I'd ask questions and be like, well, you know, you said wins and losses don't matter. So um, – and then he would cut me off and be like, no, Eric, I still want to win. Like, <laughs> that, that's not that's not what I said. And I was like, okay, okay, just wanted to, to, to double check there. Um, but, like, it, it's just kind of this maturity that I thought was building last year – but to me, it was building in a way that, like, I know this is what I'm supposed to say, and I know this is what we're supposed to do, but I don't actually know that this is going to work. And now it's the opposite, where 
I know this is going to work. And it doesn't necessarily matter what I say anymore. Like, like I know this is the I think it's it's interesting because one of the things that I've always advocated for is for teams in the Bucks position where they know they're going to be in the playoffs and they know that their season is going to come down to seven or eight guys in the second round or in the conference finals or, the, or in the NBA finals or something like that is to use the regular season as like a lab experiment and figure out what works and what doesn't, how many things you can get away with, what different kind of lineups you want to use, how you look doing certain kinds of coverages. And that was one of the big frustrations with Bud for the first few years of his tenure there was that, you know, they do their one thing and they do it really well. But then when somebody gets to the playoffs and forces them to fight left-handed, as they say, they can't do it because they've never practiced doing it. And that was one of the reasons why it was so encouraging to see them step out of their comfort zone on occasion last year. They would go entire games where they were saying, like, we're just going to switch pick and rolls. Or they were <laughs> like, we're going to switch everything except for Brooke on and off the ball. Or we're going to have Drew do this or somebody do that. Like, And it was they needed that because when it came time to, to play in the finals, they had to do a bunch of different things. And that obviously worked out really well for them. And it was something that they weren't willing to do before, but now that they've won, it's like, okay, we can go back and do this again. We can spend this year seeing like, what does it look like if Jordan Mora gets a lot of minutes or right. how many different kinds of coverages can we play with Bobby Portis at center? How can we use Giannis in different ways? Like, what happens if we run more Giannis Chris pick and rolls? Like, which I mean, I think we should still probably see more of those. But there are all different ways you can do it. The Nets are doing it right now too. Like Steve Nash said it on the first night of the season, where Bruce ba Bruce Brown, who killed the Bucks last year in the playoffs, didn't play in the first game. And Steve Nash was like, "Yeah, we know what he brings. We don't need to figure out what we have in Bruce Brown. We need to figure out what we have in all these new guys." And they're doing that again right now because they have all these new guys coming back from health and safety protocols. Now they have Kyrie back too. And it's, it's so fascinating that a team that was known for not doing that is now, and their best player is in the headspace where he can say, we need to figure out all this stuff during the regular season because we're going to need it later on. Yeah, and it, and it was funny too because last year, um, they, I mean, I would even say they probably did it haphazardly last year, right? Like, oh, yeah. The, there, there was, <laughs> honestly, I was... Uh, as I was writing my story today, or I should say last night, the story that came out today uh, at The Athletic about like the Hornets and kind of how James Brago obsesses over his meetings with Bud and really tries to do a lot of different things defensively. You know, I was looking through some of my previous Bucks hornets stories because the Bucks always struggle uh, against the Hornets because they play like small ball lineups and they switch a lot and they just do stuff that Giannis doesn't see a lot of. Um, so, so they've always struggled with them over the last couple of years and I was reading through it and I totally forgot that one of the things that they did was, uh, their switching is called red. They did, they went red, everything, red, everyone. And it was one of the like first games PJ Tucker is around. And instead of taking them off the floor for Brooke Lopez, they're just like, ah, oh, whatever, we're going to go PJ and Brooke on the floor and they're both going to switch. And it was just like. As it was happening in real time, I was like, is this the optimal strategy? Like, is it, it can't be. Like, shouldn't you do, like, you like an offense defense here? Like, you know, bring PJ in and take – okay, whatever. Everyone's switching. Fine, go for it. And, like, it worked out. But it, it was just kind of this, this full-on uh, experiment where, you know, like it got to a point last year where, you know, I had, like, a lot of Bucks fans. Like, if I would do a mailbag, be like, do you think the Bucks are, like – experimenting the right way 
Um, like I, they're trying some weird stuff. Like they're never going to use this. Like, why are they doing it? And it was like, well, you wanted experiments and Mike Budenholzer, Mike Budenholzer, the, the human gift machine is probably just shaking his head at you. Like, well, this is what you wanted. You're getting it. It's all experiments all the time. So, uh, it, it is, it is really interesting. It would be nice if the experiments were like a little bit more targeted, nope. like, we're, you know, like we're, uh, I lost your sound for a minute there. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no, it was it was just kind of crazy to watch them experiment and be like in in real time thinking, what are they doing? Because this is crazy. And and they just like rolled with it. And OK, sure. Do your thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so one of one of the other things from the honest story that stood out to me was the concept of slowing down and taking a picture um, where it said you uh, talked about how he's using like a standstill between the legs dribble to survey the floor while at the same time protecting the ball and i found that so interesting like the concept of purposeful between the legs dribbles there are a lot of guys that go between the legs to go between the legs but i remember writing a bunch of years back about um interestingly enough it was about Kyrie, where it was like every single one of his crossovers and hesitations and between the legs and behind the backs was like a test to see how the defense would react and how he could use it against them either within that same dribble sequence or later in the game or later in the season. And it's, it's for a guy who was as raw as Giannis was coming into the league to now be at the point where he's like putting it between his legs twice in a row out on the perimeter so he can survey the floor at the same time before he attacks is really incredible. Yeah, and, and it's funny too because I just – there's so much about it. Like when we first kind of talked about it and, and he told me, I was like, oh, that's really interesting because he he is obviously like this freak. We've all seen like the pictures of how massive his hands are. Um, and to me, it's funny to think through like when he is putting it in between his legs, it, it's going from one massive left hand to a massive right hand and then back to that massive left hand. And And kind of what we've seen is that at any point, he can just – fire a pass like he can he can just okay i went in between my legs i'm surveying the floor now it's in my left hand it's up at about my chest and i can just whip it and now this year he's doing this i don't even know like extendo stretch armstrong pass where he does the in between the legs dribble it gets in his left hand and then he just stretches out an extra like three feet and throws it around to help defender with a bounce pass for Grayson Allen or Pat Connaughton or Bobby Portis. And it's kind of the, just this, this whole impressive playmaking package that it's tough to, to comprehend that he can do so much at his size. And like you said, kind of, you know, if a, if a guy like Kyrie does a skill-based move, it's kind of what you expect. Like, you know, he's a shorter guy, He's always had like the the quick tight handle. It's tough to have a tight handle when you're seven feet tall and you have the most massive limbs of anyone in the NBA. And just to see kind of all of it tighten up and then for him to figure out these little tricks and how he can do these different things has just really been super impressive. And then on top of it, to have the patience to do it all. Like so much of playing under Mike Budenholzer has been – we're going to get you the ball and you're going to go downhill. And it just has been really impressive to see him kind of understand like, all right, um, 
I still need to go downhill, but just give me like give me one second. Like let's see where the help defense is. Let's see how I can, you know, make a play maybe with the pass and then if the threat of the pass is going to reopen up driving lanes for me, that I can use a hesitation move or, or whatever it may be. It's it's really some high level playmaking stuff that uh, you know I don't think a ton of people, unless you watch him night in night out, uh, are really going to comprehend that he can kind of do. Yeah, I mean the dude is outrageous. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to spend the the whole time talking about Giannis. Though I want to go to Drew because I, I think he's pretty firmly in the mix for. One of the the all star starter courts, uh, courts all star starter spots in the backcourt, and Giannis I thought gave such a perfect description of why he's so good for this team. Uh, in your story that you wrote last week, the week before, I can't remember yeah. when it was, but um, you said if you could, uh, no, maybe it was Portis. Portis said uh, we were talking on the bench earlier in the game and it's like George Hill said, he's like a four man in a point guard's body. He posts the point guards up, hits them in the chest three, four times and shoots the hook shot or whatever type of shot with his left hand, all types of ways off the, off the glass. It's great to see. It's beautiful. It's just him. It's fun to see him out there playing, being himself. He's in great rhythm right now. And the dude is in great rhythm and he is like, like a, a, a four man in a point guard's body. He's so much stronger than so many of the point guards that he goes up against on any given night. It's out, it's ridiculous. It's, it's man, it's been really fun to watch this season because um, that isn't normal. And because it's not normal, I don't know that the Bucks really understood what they had on their hands last year. And, you know, I remember writing a story in, like, April of last season where – you know, the Bucks were talking about like, hey, we're still trying to figure this out. Like this whole big three thing, like we're, we're not totally sure what we're doing quite yet. And the big thing was like they didn't totally know how to integrate Drew Holiday. Like they weren't mm-hmm. like, is it catch and shoot stuff? Is it pick and roll stuff? Like how do we kind of get him where he needs to be? And and I think one of the kind of revelations of this season is that uh, you don't have to do anything for Drew Holiday. Just give him a ball and let him get it on, let's say, the left wing the left uh the left block like where, wherever you want to give it to him on the left side of the floor let him dribble into this move and every point guard is going to be infuriated by it because there's not a damn thing they can do about it like <laughs> once once he has them and he's backing them down their only recourse is to try to strip him in some way is to take a charge like that that's a new one i've seen people flop like he's Giannis in the post uh recently like they like you have to try to make a decision and then on top of it because drew is ambidextrous and because drew loves his left hand so much like if you reach he has the counter move ready like he doesn't he doesn't necessarily have to plan anything like if you reach on the right side okay he's gonna go over his left shoulder like reach on the left side He's going to go to his right shoulder and then she like a little baby hook or whatever. Like he just has a counter for everything And the bucks have kind of realized that like in the same way that they need to give Giannis space, they have to give Drew space. And it's been really fun to see because, you know, like there, there's like a segment of bucks fans now that will, will tell me regularly that like Drew is the second best buck. If you think Chris Middleton is blah, 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 you're an idiot or whatever. And uh, like it's fun, it's fun to listen to because it's it's clearly insane. Like it doesn't really matter who the second best buck is. Like they have three very good basketball players that are all very helpful. Um, but 
why people are starting to think that is because this is the first time that the Bucks under Drew Holiday, and again, this hasn't been long, right? It's only a year and a half. Um, but this is the first time that they've given him the keys. Last year, if Giannis wasn't on the floor, they had Stagger, Drew, and Chris out there, and it was Chris's show. And that's why Chris put up the insane numbers that he did last year. And, you know, he has through the first couple of years of Mike Boonholzer is because if it wasn't Giannis, it was Chris. And this year, they've decided, like, okay, it can be Drew. Like, Chris doesn't need that anymore. Like, Chris, like, we know what Chris can do when Chris needs to do it. And it's that experimentation that we're talking about, right? Like, okay, if we need to get Drew more comfortable, how do we do it? You like posting up? You like doing weird stuff? Cool. Let's see how we can do it. Like, let's see how we can get this into our game plan. And I think it's just been like a really fun subplot for this Bucks season is they're 26 and 17. They're fourth in the East. They're not at all concerned about their place in, in the standings. And they're trying different stuff on both sides of the ball. And, and it's just been really cool to watch Drew Holiday in many ways explore a space that he's never really been given. I mean, somewhat in – in New Orleans, he got to do it a little bit, but I don't think he was, you know, quite as strong or quite as comfortable in playing in such an unconventional way, or maybe he wasn't given the freedom to do so. Like, he's really just trying some stuff this year, and it's really been fun to watch. He also, he didn't have the shooters uh, in New Orleans sure. that he does sure. in Milwaukee. But, I mean, the, all the stuff you mentioned, like, that's the thing that makes Drew so valuable is, like, the malleability, where he yep. can be the primary ball handler, or he can be the second option or even the third option. And he can play in the half court or in transition and he can play on the block or he can spot up in the corner or he can defend basically anybody on the perimeter. And that's one of the things that I think Giannis talked about uh, in your story that you wrote on Drew the other day is just like all of the different things he can do. And I think you saw that even throughout last year when they weren't necessarily sure what they wanted to do with him. I remember I, I wrote two stories that sort of touched on it a little bit. The first one was about like I, I looked into the way like teams structure their rotations and the Bucks were one of the teams that I looked at where it was like they did this this three man stagger with Giannis, Chris and Drew where Giannis had like a very regular rotation schedule except when he was in foul trouble. But then Chris and Drew were like much more haphazard like Bud was kind of searching for right. how to best execute the stagger. And like the the distribution of how often these guys were going to play with all three together or in pairs of two or just by themselves, and it was it was really interesting to see that. And then there was another one where I wrote about Drew like after he signed the extension and just the dramatic difference in his usage and time he spent with the ball in his hands based on whether or not Giannis was on the court. And to have a guy who was so able to ramp up and down like that and still be really effective depending on whether or not the team's best player is on the court is such a valuable thing to have, especially on a team with a guy like Giannis, who, you know, is a really unusual player. You know, it's, it's not easy necessarily to fit around a guy like that. We've seen guys even struggle to fit around LeBron, you know, it's the same sort of way. Yeah. I mean, I think that's always kind of been, um, that's always kind of been the struggle and it's, it's interesting that the Bucks like lost the last two games because um, one of the things that we've kind of found out is that like Giannis and Chris might think they want to be a point guard, but they hate doing it. Like it's, <laughs> it's not fun. And that's kind of one of the things that we found out in the last couple of days is like, as we were talking uh, to both those guys, you know, Chris had, 
seven turnovers the other night, six turnovers the night before, or maybe flip them. Uh, Giannis had six last night, uh, three or four the game before. Like those two dudes kept talking about how like they've always appreciated Drew. Like they they've always like kind of known what he's done for them, but these last couple games where the Hornets have decided to press him full, press both of them full court and really like make them work to bring the ball up is that like, it takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of conditioning. And then it takes like a lot of self-confidence to get everyone in the right place, run a set the right way, but then also on top of that, do your thing. And I think that's one thing that can kind of go underappreciated about Drew Holiday is that like, he does all those things for them. He plays great defense, as everybody knows. Uh, you know, he gets them set up. He gets them organized. And then on top of it, you know, he's finding his own way to impact the game offensively, whether that's in a pick and roll, whether that's a cut, whether that's uh, offensive rebounding, being the primary ball, and, like, whatever it may be. Like, Drew does, like, all of those things. And, and I thought earlier this year, Greg Popovich, um, he was talking about Chris Middleton. And and he told me that Chris is glue and that you're like if you're building a basketball team, you're looking for guys that are glue. Because what you want is you wanna have all these pieces and then you wanna be able to have glue that makes it all work together. And it just feels like when you think of Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, like they are the perfect stars to go along Giannis because Giannis is a strange and unusual and unique player that you need to have guys that can do a lot of things and do them well and do different things every night and essentially just be the glue that makes it all work. And, you know, they tried it with Eric Bledsoe and he didn't have quite enough glue. Like he he didn't shoot it well enough. You know, he wasn't able to control things as well. Like he didn't have uh, the pace and the poise and like all of those things. And now you bring in Drew Holiday and he does have those things. And, and like you, like you mentioned it, it is really interesting to watch how they make it work because it's, it's not easy. It, It is not always easy to, you know, eat when, when you get fed and then not complain when you don't get fed. And, and make it all work. And those two guys, I think, are just such great examples of it. It's so funny how much of what um, what roles players play comes down to it's not fun. Like <laughs> For sure. You, know, you mentioned how like, they want to be like the point guards and it's not fun. That's like every player who people are like, oh, he's not a three, he's a four. He's not a four, he's a five. It all comes down to it's not fun. And those guys don't want to do it pretty much. For sure. Um, yeah. Absolutely. We have a, a question next from Mark. Pereira. Mark, how you doing? Good. Can you hear me, guys? Yeah, we can hear you. What's up? Great. Great conversation. Uh, I love devouring Bucks content uh, as a Jazz fan because I think there's a lot of corollaries between the teams uh, from a lot of things. But uh, the one thing that's really struck me is the experimentation last year that Bud did uh, has really come. I, I think Quinn's doing a lot of that as well with Gobert playing out on the floor. But my question is much more of a microcosm and not to get in the question too much about uh, not caring too much about a game in January, but Jazz fans are freaking out over losing to the Pistons last night, and I wanted to know what happened uh, with the Bucks in Detroit uh, uh, at home a couple weeks ago. Eric, what do you think uh, there? What, what happened there? I mean, that was a game where uh, we've seen over the years if a team can shoot the three really well against the Bucks, um, you can kind of get loose. Like, that's always been their their one problem on – on defenses that Bud's system has always kind of given up threes. And 
that night they gave up 43 of them um and then they hit 18 and the the big to me the big problem was they left Sadiq Bay open too much Sadiq Bay had a career high uh 34 points eight threes um and then the other thing that happened was uh they just gave Josh Jackson a bunch of dare shots and said all right you want to beat us go for it man like you can't shoot we know you can't shoot you've never been able to shoot so whatever and he went five to seven from the three-point line and you know there's three of them in the fourth quarter where Giannis is literally just outside the lane just like looking at him like okay go for it man um and that hot shooting kind of just messed with the bucks and then ultimately uh they did not have enough and that was a night where Giannis, Chris, and Drew all played. Uh, you know, they kind of had everybody out there on the floor. That was during the the Boogie Cousins experiment. Um, but to me, it was really just they let Bay get hot. They let Jackson get hot. And then Cade had a couple really big plays down the stretch, um, which is very exciting because I'm a big Cade guy. Um, so, so that was fun. But for the Bucks, it, it was they let the, the wrong – one of the wrong guys get hot in Sadiq Bay and, and didn't do enough about it. And then Josh Jackson, they did him to shoot some threes and, and he did. And that's where I was going to go when I br- brought up the box score. Like every once in a while, you're going to have two guys combined to go 13 of 20 from three and you're going to lose. Like things like that just happen. Like, especially when you design your defense around for the most part, taking away the paint and you're okay giving up a bunch of threes as long as they're to quote unquote the right guys. But sometimes they're not the right guys and sometimes they are the right guys and they hit them anyway, because that's something that happens. These guys are in the NBA, you know? <laughs> but Yeah. I mean, by the, by the end of last season, I, I pretty much had a form story ready to go for every time it happened to the Bucks because that's always been the thing. Like if some team gets up 45 threes and hits 40% of them, Bucks might lose and, and that, that can happen. So yeah, to, that's totally right. But yeah, I, I can't speak to the jazz situation um, in, in any sort of specificity, but uh, for the bucks, that was always kind of the thing. Like if you if two the two guys get hot and hit a bunch of threes, well, they might lose that game. Yeah. For me, it's pretty simple with the jazz. Um, their whole defense is based around Rudy Gobert being on the court. And right now Rudy Gobert is not on the court. You know what do you like? It's, yeah. it's, it's similar to what the like bucks games early in the season when they had so many guys out, I was like, why am I even watching this right now? <laughs> Like Giannis isn't in or Giannis and Chris and Drew all aren't in or Brooke and Chris and Drew are out. And it's Giannis playing with like three guys who came to the team last week. Like it's the same thing with the jazz when they're, you know, the other night when they lost to, I think it was Toronto and they're like Eric Pascal got 40 minutes and he played well, but you know, that's, that's not the jazz on the court, you know, and even just not having Gobert, that's not really the jazz. Like, I'm sorry, Hassan Whiteside is not propping up your defense in the same way that, you know, like arguably the best defensive player in the league is, you know, like there's no, a reason for sure. won and, three defensive player of the year awards. Yeah. I mean, go, go bears. Just, um, I honestly like, I'm a little bit concerned to start talking about it. Cause I feel like Seth part now is just going to jump on this chat and start screaming about how good Rudy is right now. So oh, you don't, we, we don't even know the, the conversations that are happening like in Slack. <laughs> and whatnot with with seth and matt moore (laughs) yeah 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 uh let's just say there's a little bit of a disagreement that goes on uh about the quality of rudy gobert but um mark thanks for the question man really appreciate it i'm gonna send you back to the audience because it messes with the sound a little bit but 
Uh, I, I want to go to to Bobby Portis because he's been the guy that's been tasked with filling in for Brooke this year, and I, I, it kind of seems like the defense has not necessarily been that much worse off for it, which I think is really really interesting. Um, why do you think that is? Is it just like Giannis and Drew are that good, or are there things that you think they're doing differently to um, to account for not having Brook and playing so much with Portis out there? Because he's getting a lot of minutes. Yeah. So essentially, kind of what the Bucks decided is that Bobby Portis is not Brook Lopez. Um, they Big did not news, make you know <laughs> shocking stuff. I know, um, but they did not make that decision last year. Um, Bobby was asked to play drop for pretty much he he was asked to play drop pretty much the entire season. Um, he was hanging out in I mean the Eastern Conference Finals, trying to play drop against Trey Young, and that's a bad decision. That's not going to work. It's just not what he's good at. And you know, I was talking to acting head coach Darvin Ham about it literally just the other night. And he said, you know, the one thing that we realized as a staff is that Bobby has good hands. And if you play him in drop, he can't use his hands. Like, there's just no way for him to do the things that he's good at. So we need to do something that allows him to be good. And and what they've done is essentially, if he's out there on the floor with Giannis, Giannis is Brooke and Bobby is Giannis. And I know that that doesn't make any sense. And Bobby Portis certainly is not as capable of a defender as Giannis Antetokounmpo. But, you know, kind of what they used to let Giannis do was be more of a, you know, a chaos causer. Um, And with Bobby Portis, that's kind of what they've uh, let him get after and let him do is like, if it's a pick and roll and you saw it in the Nets game the other night, he is going to get up in James Harden's face and see if he can get his hands on the ball and then hopefully stretch that pick and roll out as far as he can and then sprint back and recover to the rim. And for the most part, it's worked. And, and the big part of it that has worked is just like Giannis has figured out how to do the, the Brook roll a little bit better. And it has gotten a more engaged Bobby Portis. Like there would just be times where you would see Bobby in drop last year and he knew it was doomed. Like he knew like, what why do you have me doing this you know i'm not good at it it's not gonna work and you know it'd just be like well throw your arms up in the air and shrug as they score and you run the other way and this year it hasn't been that way he's allowed to do something he's a little bit better at more blitzing more hedging more aggressive pick and roll coverages and he can feel more involved and feel like he's actually involved in in what they're doing defensively And, and i think it's just been it's been great for him um, not that he needed any more confidence, confidence offensively, um, because he's always willing to shoot it. He's always going to put up points, but like, oh, is he? <laughs> just like being a part, like just being a part of the team helps him, and, and just feeling like, hey, I'm not a detriment to what they're doing defensively. It, it I, to me, it has just led to like an attitude and a spirit about him that he just didn't have sometimes last season. Yeah, I mean, the thing about him defensively is. The big things that were weaknesses for him were like navigating space, changing directions multiple times because the defense is moving him one way and then the other, and then he has to get back. And it's like those are the thing and timing and things like that. And like those are the, all the things that you have to do when you're playing and drop. But instead, yep. it's just like 
go this way as fast as you can, use your arms and your height and your general craziness, and then go that way as fast as you can. And it's like, that's way easier for a, for a guy like him sure. to do. Like, yeah, it, it takes have, more you effort. One read. You have to make one read, make the read, and you're good. It takes more effort, but it's much more, it's effort that's much more suited to who he is as a player. You know, like, that just, it just makes much more sense. And it's, it's great that they're, like, willing to go that far outside of themselves to fit a player now because they wouldn't have been willing to do that two years ago, you know, and maybe that's just winning the title. Maybe that's Bud opening up to the idea that he does need to be a little bit more flexible than he's been in the past and incorporate, like they need Portis to play a lot of minutes. They don't really have another non Giannis center, you know, like this guy has to play a lot with Lopez out and you can't have your defense compromised like it was, you know, in the playoffs last year when he was on the court. So you need to do something different, and they are willing to do that different thing. Um, the and I last think on thing on top of it too is what's the easiest way to get compromised for them, right? Like, can Giannis cover on the backside like a rim runner? Yep, he can. Can Chris tag a rim runner? Yep, he can. Wesley Matthews, whoever else, Dante, Pat, all those dudes can tag a rim runner. So if you allow Bobby to do this thing, like. Is it going to compromise your defense and put you into rotation? Yes, but it's the easiest rotation for you to cover with the rest of your personnel. So I think it's kind of twofold where, like you said, he's more engaged, but then on top of it, it's something that you can cover. Yeah. Um, so um, so Dante was the last thing I wanted to get to. He came back for – he had the, the ankle injury in the playoffs, uh, came back for three games, and then like rolled his ankle in warm-ups – and yep. then was back last night. Obviously doesn't really look like himself just yet, but that's, I think, to be expected. Um, what have you seen from him in the you know the four games that he's played so far? Wh- what do you think they're going to be doing as far as incorporating him back into the lineup? Like right now he's you know coming off the bench, playing like a couple four or five minute stints. Obviously last year he was starting for the whole season right now there um grace Allen was starting but he's out i think in health and safety protocols or an injury i can't remember which one but i mean do you think they go back to divincenzo once he gets back up to speed um what what's that transition going to be like for them yeah i mean the tough thing for dante was he was shooting 40 percent from the three-point line then he goes over seven last night and now he's gonna be he's gonna be playing from behind for a while there um with Dante, I think Mike Budenholzer loves having guys that can do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I think early in his tenure, it it kind of made it hard for role players to figure out what they're supposed to do or how they're supposed to make an impact. Um, and, you know, like, uh, I think it, maybe guys that could have found a way as, like, specialists as just, like, 3 and D guys – like you know like dj wilson or sterling brown like just kind of like lost their way oh don't get Uh, me started on dj wilson (laughs) my bad um but like those guys like kind of couldn't find their way into the floor because they couldn't do a little bit of everything offensively um they could just do the one thing and and i think that's kind of the big thing with bud over the years is you know they've gotten more talent and more guys that can do a little bit of everything so I, I think Dante is always going to have a role because they like his activity defensively. Um, on ball, Dante is good. Off ball and instinctually, he's special. 
Like I, some of the passing lanes he jumps in, you know, some of the help defensive plays that he makes are, are really just like stuff. Not a lot of guys at that size can do. Um, you know, there's a, like a section of Bucks fans that say that makes him a bad defender because sometimes they'll guess wrong or he'll get caught out. But uh, I just don't dis- I just don't agree with that assessment. I, I think he, he's good to very good defensively, and then offensively, you know, I think the the thing that I've always been most impressed with him is he's like the ultimate connector. Like, is he a great shooter? No, but he got it up to 36% last year. So he was good enough that you had to honor him at the three point line. And then, you know, he's struggled as a rim finisher, but he is this great athlete where people see him going to the rim and respect what he could do there. So then all of a sudden he has dump off passes or he has, uh, you know, like a kick out to the corner. Uh, he, He's just to me like the ultimate second side connective guy. Mm-hmm. And and that's like just so important. Like when you have, you know, you have a guy like Giannis and Chris and, and Drew as well, like you need the guys that can get okay, we just tried Giannis Chris pick and roll on the left side. It didn't go anywhere. We need to swing it. And on that swing, that guy needs to be a threat and then get it to Drew or create something for himself. And Dante is like the ultimate type of that role player. Um, so I, I think they're really going to try to use him. I, I think they they really like him. But, uh, you know, I was just having a conversation with somebody about this today is that Mike Bunozer has a lot of guys that he really likes uh, on this <laughs> roster. Um, like if you're talking about people that Mike Bunozer loves more than – maybe anyone else on the planet. Um, you know, Pat, Pat, Connaughton? Connaughton, yeah. Pat Connaughton and George Hill are probably one and two on the list. Uh, so you're going to have two guys that he really, really wants to play there. Dante DiVincenzo might be third. Uh, below that, like you're looking at a guy like Wesley Matthews that he really likes. And we're not even mentioning the fact that, oh, the guy that started every game at shooting guard until he hit the health and safety protocols, Grayson Allen has put together a career season. So all of a sudden you're in the spot where Drew, Giannis, and Chris are going to eat up a ton of minutes. That means you have a two spot to fill. And in that two spot, Grayson, Pat, George, Wesley, and Dante can all see minutes. And I think I have never been good at predicting exactly how Mike Boonholzer is going to dole out his postseason minutes and how he's going to create his rotation. Hi, Jeff Teague. How are you doing? Um, it's been it, there's always just kind of little idiosyncrasies in, inside there, like where he's just doing different stuff that I don't predict. But this year he has so many guys that they can really throw out some like interesting lineups. They can do some different things. There's a lot of flexibility there. But as far as how I try to predict how Bud's going to do it, I have no idea because he he loves playing a lot of those dudes. He loves two point guard sets with Drew with. Drew and George Hill, you know, he loves the toughness that Wesley Matthews brings. He loves Dante and Pat. Like, I, I don't totally know how he's going to put together a playoff rotation. And, oh, by the way, I haven't mentioned the fact that Brooke Lopez could come in there and eat up 25 minutes a game as well. So it, it's this is this team looks a lot more like the team from two years ago that ended up short in the postseason um, because they had such a deep roster that – you know, they could go 12 deep, but in the playoffs, you can't go 12 deep. Last year's roster, 
it was a lot shorter rotation. It made sense to go eight or nine deep. So I, I'm really fascinated to see how Mike Boonholzer tries to figure this one out. Yeah, I would say it's a good problem to have that you have like, you know, Allen, Hill, Matthews, DiVincenzo, um, Wara, Hood, like Galloway. Yeah. I would say it's a good problem to have, but I know, and oh, and, and Connaughton, but I know that Bud will be tempted to play every single one of them in the first quarter of a playoff game. And for that reason, I think it's not necessarily a good problem to have, but it's, it's not one that they had last year. Like you said, like they still don't have necessarily the like PJ Tucker sized guy, which is like, you know, the, the big wing defender that you need. But I think it does make them a little bit more able to play small ball units. If they can play three of like, if they can play Connaughton, Allen and DiVincenzo together. If, yeah, and, if, uh, if Giannis on the court and like Drew is taking a break or Chris is taking a break or they can play two of those guys with, with Drew, Chris, and Giannis, like they can get away with more of that this year, I think, which, you know, it's an interesting look. And obviously they still have like Brooke, Brooke can play a bunch of minutes if he comes back. Portis can play, obviously, a bunch of minutes. Like I, I think it's really interesting. I do think that I'm going to be interested to see what they think they need to do at the deadline, if anything. Because, you know, pairing, like, Wara, who's looked pretty good this year, I think, with, you know, like, a, some sort of contract and trying to get an upgrade at that sort of big wing spot, like they got P.J. Tucker last year, I think would make a lot of sense. It would sap their rotation of some depth, but, I mean, I think they have depth to deal from this year. Yeah, they definitely do. I think part of the problem is that they don't have a ton of contracts in that range that really um, makes sense to use. Mm -hmm. So I I think that gets a little bit more difficult, but uh, I think that's, it's an interesting spot. And I mean, it, it really is going to be tough to, to try to figure out what Bud does because he just has too many toys at this point. Like there's so many things that he could use. Like you mentioned, you know, the small ball configurations and, you know, I can't remember the exact number, but I think in the final two rounds, like the small ball configuration with Giannis at center and Pat is like the pseudo power forward next to Chris Middleton. I think that was like plus 13 per 100 possessions. Like it, it was a, it was a world destroyer. Like teams couldn't do anything with it because Pat was shooting the crap out of the ball and he's tough as hell. And, and he could just handle whatever they needed to do. So they're going to have a lot of options. I, John Horst is always incredibly aggressive at the trade deadline. Uh, mm. every, every year, I think there's not going to be a possibility he can do something. Um, he pulls something off. Last year, I, I thought, you know, there was a lot of smoke around the P.J. Tucker uh, trade. I mean, I wrote about it, I think, two months before it happened. Like, hey, you know, this might be the the guy that makes sense for the Bucks. Um, so, like, I think there's smoke there. I think it's less clear what that move is this year. Um, maybe that's just indicative of a trade market that hasn't really moved yet because, I don't know, two of the top 25 to 30 players in the league and Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons have kind of been talked about as trade guys or not trade guys or who knows. Uh, but they haven't been on the floor and it just made it weird. And, and I think maybe some of that, I think teams trying to think they can play for the playing game and, you know, maybe there being fewer sellers out there. It, it, to me, it's just been kind of quiet uh, thus far on the trade 
front. And, and I am really curious, like PJ Tucker was the obvious, you know, trade candidate. Like, Hey, this guy got left behind by James Harden in Houston. He's not going to be happy. Who's going to go out and get him? I don't know if that same, same thing is clear this year. Maybe if, if the Blazers decide to shut down Dame Lillard in the next little bit, it's Robert Covington. I don't know. Um, I think it, it's tough to figure out exactly uh, what that trade target might be. It's it's really hard to make the money look. I brought up the uh, the salaries in the team and just like, I mean, the highest non-Giannis Chris Drew salary is Brooke, who I don't think they're trading. But then it's Compton, who I also don't think they're trading because of Bud's love for him and Giannis's <laughs> relationship with him. But uh, I did realize that they still have the buyout dead salary for both John Lawyer and Larry Sanders on oh, the book this year. But uh, those are the kind of things you don't have to worry about when, when you win the title last year. But um, that's all we got for today. Eric, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Um, you can find Eric uh, at The Athletic and uh, at Eric, E-R-I-C underscore name, N-E-H-M on Twitter. Um, you got anything else you want to promote before I let you go? No. Uh, just uh, if any of that was interesting, follow along at The Athletic. I like to, as, as Jared's kind of mentioned, write about X's and O's and throw some film in there and have some fun with it. Uh, basketball is really cool. I enjoy writing about it. So if you enjoy those things, come through and, and check it out. Basketball is really cool. I think we should leave it there. Thank you so much again for doing this, man. I appreciate you. Have a good day. See ya.